previously in Ephesians chapter 2, we have seen the nature of man in verses 1 to 3. Already read that. Last week, we have seen the nature of God and the new nature of man in verses 4 through 7. Today, we'll be looking at the nature of faith in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. And the Lord willing, someday... In Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, the new relationship that we have with God and with one another. In these closing verses on the nature of God's saving us from our sin transforming us from what we were to what we shall be in the new creation, in the church, Paul now explains the nature of faith. Here, he is careful to show that there is nothing, nothing of man's efforts involved in faith. It is no way meritorious. We do not merit faith. And faith is not a merit for us. Man does not contribute anything of himself to faith. Though he is actively involved in faith. We're going to look at this. Faith is not meritorious, but it is by no means a purely passive thing in our lives. Faith calls the sinner to action. But it is an action which means that we bring nothing to faith except our hopelessness. Having declared man in his state of total depravity in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and having outlined the source of our salvation in the supremacy and sovereignty of God in Christ alone in verses 4 through 7, Paul now, with equal consistency, shows how man exercises faith. It is not of man, but wholly of God. Yet man is actively and personally involved. We are saved by grace through faith. The nature of faith is God's sovereignty. This is so because faith is unmerited. We're going to unpack this in a moment. Faith is first unmerited, secondly, faith is free, and thirdly, faith is creative. That is, God 
recreating us into something completely new. First then this morning, faith is unmerited. Look here at verse 8 and the first part of the verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Now you may recall from last week that I had mentioned that grace is unmerited favor. God giving us something that we do not deserve. Faith cannot be earned. For by grace, through faith, we have been saved. We don't earn faith. We don't earn salvation. The Greek word for grace is related to the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, divine favor. God has divine favor on you, on me. Very selective here. In Paul's writings, grace occurs frequently, not simply uh, as a formal greeting or a benediction, uh, grace and peace to you, but in the fuller sense of expounding God's gratuitous love and divine favor towards man in Christ. It is regularly related to election, God's grace in choosing us. Choosing us before the foundation of the world. And defined in the old, in the context of its Old Testament background with particular reference to Abraham in Romans 4 and again in Galatians 3, where the unmerited means whereby justification comes to man is explained. I read. I could be quoting Romans 4 verse 3 or Galatians 3 verse 6. Exactly the same. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And in both cases, the Apostle Paul is quoting from Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. Grace, divine favor, is the means of our receiving salvation. It is what God gives to us. So then, what is Biblical faith, as we see it related to grace. By grace, through faith, you have been saved. Faith in the New Testament describes personal trust in Christ, primarily for salvation from sin, but ongoing faith in Christ. It has the object, its object in Jesus Christ, and it is a personal dependence on him alone as Savior, abandoning all reliance on self. That's what faith is. By its very nature, faith is non-meritorious. It's not our merit. It is the total abandonment 
of ourselves and reliance upon Christ alone. In Paul's epistles, this is often expressed by an antithesis between faith and works. Either the works of the Jewish ceremonial laws or works in terms of human efforts. Paul commonly uses the word faith in contrast with our efforts to obtain salvation. Now, we're going to see this more specifically in the second half of verse 8, where Paul is affirming that both the basis of salvation, grace, and the means of salvation, faith, are undeserving. The second half of verse 8 saying, And this is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. Grace through faith. Men who are dead in trespasses and sin, under the control of the world, the devil, and their own lusts and passions. Men who are the sons of disobedience and the children of wrath, all from verses 1 through 3, do not and cannot merit grace and faith. The Greek uses the instrumental dative of the noun grace here, normally translated by, by grace in regards to a relationship. It is God's favor on us. That relationship, by grace. And he also uses a preposition through faith. And that is relating to specific means. Salvation by grace, then, is God's favor regarding relationships, and through faith relates to the specific means. Grace is the foundation, God's plan regarding our redemption. It is the foundation of the salvation which is given, and faith is the instrument or the means by which it is received. But both are a gift of God. Charles Hodge, old theologian, calls this the gratuitous nature of salvation. From the very nature of faith, it excludes the idea of merit. If, through faith, it is of grace, But if through works, it is of debt. Let me clarify some of these older theologians. If our salvation and our faith was a work, then it would be a debt that God owed us. You go to work 40, 60, some of you 80 hours a week, And your employer owes you something for your work. But if you didn't go to work and your employer says, I have favor on you and I'm going to go ahead and pay you anyway. That's grace. 
Romans 4, verses 4 and 5. Now, this is following on the coattails of verse 3, where we see that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 4. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So we see this big contrast here. Uh, It's a theme that Paul is presenting throughout his epistles. And he's picking it up from the Old Testament, even from Abraham. Abraham was from Ur the Chaldees. They were all a bunch of pagan worshipers. But God called Abraham, and Abraham believed. That belief was a gift, not anything that Abraham earned. Because Abraham naturally would not have believed. He was a pagan worshiper. And God called him out by grace through faith. Faith, therefore, is the response of believing and accepting. This is, again, back to the uh, quote from Charles Hodge. Faith, therefore, is the response of believing and accepting the gift of salvation and not the ground on which salvation is bestowed. Faith is not our work that saves us. Faith, faith along with the rest of salvation, is God's work. Both grace and faith are a part of God's eternal plan of redemption. God is doing something that we could not do and did not deserve. And then we get into those two beautiful words that we looked at last week. We couldn't do anything. We were sinners. We didn't deserve anything. We were sinners. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love, did not give us what we deserved By grace, God shows us to be his and gave us faith to embrace so great a salvation. We call this unconditional election. Charles Spurgeon, and I believe this is printed in your bulletin, said in his lectures to my students, and he says it so simply, I believe in the doctrine of election because I am quite sure that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And I am sure that he chose me before I was born, or else he would never have chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I could never find any reason in myself why I should have looked, he should have looked, upon me with special love. Faith is unmerited. Secondly, faith is free. Picking up with the second half of 
verse 8, and now verse 9. And it is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Faith is freely given by the will of our sovereign God. There's a negative to this and a positive. Negatively, salvation has its origin not in anything we do. Not of your own. Not a result of works. This completely rules out any merit on our behalf. Even the merit of faith. Positively, salvation is not only by grace through faith, It is the gift of God. So negatively, not our work. Positively, God's work. Now, the language in the context here suggests the gift of God includes more than just our faith. The gift of God in our broader context is the whole of our salvation. We see that from verses 4 and on. God making us alive. God raising us up with Christ. God seating us with Him in the heavenly places. What we uh, see in our immediate context here, Paul is saying that salvation, including faith, is the free gift of God to us. That's the point that Paul is emphatically making in Ephesians chapters 1 and 2. Salvation is God's work from eternity past to eternity future. And here in time, it is God's work to change dead hearts into life in Christ. It is God's plan of redemption to do for us what we could not do and did not deserve. John Calvin comments in a translation from French, which I do not speak or read, but the translation is, we see that the apostle leaves nothing to men in procuring salvation. In these three phrases, not of your doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, Calvin goes on by noting that Paul embraces the substance of the larger argument in Romans and Galatians. And here in Ephesians, he puts it together in a golden nugget, a little nutshell that speaks so vividly of our need and God's divine favor. Some of that, by the way, is my comments. Um, He, Calvin goes on to say that in Romans and Galatians that the apostle is demonstrating, one, the righteousness that comes to us from the mercy and grace of God alone, two, is offered to us in Christ by the gospel And three, is received by faith alone without the merit of works. And that was the end of Calvin's quote. 
we receive faith without the merit of works. Faith is not our work. It is a divine work. It is God's work in you. The grace to respond. Paul continues, so that no one may boast. Now, pride caused the fall of Satan. It's a whole other subject matter. But it's interesting to note that when Satan tempted Adam and Eve, he tempted them with pride. Genesis 3, verse 5. You shall become like God. Remember, that's what Satan wanted. He wanted to be worshipped. He was the most beautiful of all the created angels. But rather than serve God, he wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be like God. And so Satan comes to Adam and Eve. And he said, you know, God only told you this so he would be in control to keep you dumb so that you wouldn't know the difference, the difference between good and evil. You just had to depend on him. God knows that if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will become like God. And Adam and Eve took the fruit in disobedience to God. The base of disobedience is pride. Wanting to do things our way. From the human perspective, pride is what keeps men from coming to Christ. I say from a human perspective because without the divine interference of God, His grace, we would all be lost. Pride. People think that they don't need a Savior. I may not be perfect, but my good works will certainly outweigh my bad works if I've really done anything wrong at all. Or, you know, I want to live my life my way for now. And then when I get older, I'll get religious. Pride. Or, I'm better than the next guy. You know, we can always find somebody worse. A sinner can always find somebody who's a bigger sinner than they are. Pride. It's all about me. It's what I want. And when I want it, I can do it. I'm not so bad after all. Since human pride is such opposition to God... Why would anyone think for a moment that God's plan of redemption would include anything meritorious in ourselves? Even faith. Well, I, I, I can have faith. That faith is a gift of God in response to His grace. But people think, well... You know what? I'm smarter than those sinners who won't believe in Jesus. Or, 
I'm really talented and God would certainly want to save me. Or God casts one vote for me and the devil casts one vote against me and I get to cast the deciding vote. Pride and arrogance in the face of God. All this clearly does not understand the biblical nature of sin, nor the biblical nature of grace and faith. Faith is unmerited. Faith is free. And third this morning, faith is creative. God is creating something new in us. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The creativity is introduced by means of a contrast between human works, it is not of works lest anyone should boast, and God's activity in saving us. This creativity is not God, it is not us doing something for God, it is God doing something in us. Contrast is clear between works, erga in the Greek, implying human effort, and his workmanship, poiama, envisioning divine activity, his poiama, his workmanship. Not erga, our work, that's what we do. The labors of our hands. We go out and we work. Even in retirement, there's still a whole lot of things to do. But God's workmanship is completely different. So that's the contrast that that Paul is giving us here. Two different words. Our works, erga, and God's work, poyama, God's divine activity. Paul is stressing the creative activity of God in salvation. This workmanship is used in in the Septuagint. Same word, uh, poyama, uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. To describe God's creation as God's work in Psalm 92, verse 4, and again in Psalm 143, verse 5. The only other place in Paul's epistles where poyama is used is in Romans 1 and verse 20, where it is in the plural, and it refers to God's creative works, God's works, the things that God is doing. And now here in Ephesians uh, 2, we are God's poyama, God's workmanship. Faith is a part of the creative activity of God in Christ, whereby man is not only saved from his sinful past, but transformed or recreated for a righteous future. 
this, this, by the way, is clearly pictured in the words of Jesus in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. You must be born again. Now, Nicodemus didn't get it. You know, I'm an old man. How do I go back into my mother's womb? You just didn't get the picture. You were born physically. You need to be recreated now in the image of God. You need to be born again. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. The theme is not unique to Ephesians in Paul's teachings. Man in Christ is a new creation in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. In Galatians 5 or 6 and verse 15, neither circumcision counts for anything or uncircumcision, but a new creation. And to imply the, uh, to state the implied words, the new creation is the only thing that counts. You know, the Jews would say, well, circumcision and uncircumcision is the difference between all of mankind. And Paul says, neither count for anything. The only thing that matters is God's new creation. In Colossians 3 and verse 10, man is renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So we are a new creation. We are renewed in knowledge, in understanding after the creator. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We're being made like him. That's the idea here. Verses 1 to 3, we were absolutely nothing like Jesus Christ. Verse 10, God has recreated you and me in the image of Christ. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus would mean being holy and godly. We've been singing about this, godly living. Obedience to the commands of Christ. God's word would not be just a rule for life, but it would be our joy and our desire. Our focus would be to do all for the glory of God. And we would be living testimonies of the saving grace of God in our lives. But it's important for us to notice that these good works are the result of God's new creation. It is not the ground for God's new creation or God's salvation. The ground for our salvation is totally unmerited divine favor. Grace. The instrument of salvation is faith. But the results of God's favor, God's grace and gift of faith is that we are a new creation. No one 
can ever be good or ever be saved by being good. It is all of grace. Remember also that these are God's creative works in us. God initiates the new life of good works in Christ. So they are non-meritorious, like grace, like faith. The new life is non-meritorious. Not our merits, not our works. They do not earn us anything good. We don't get we don't get badges to sew on our lapels because we did something good. There will be crowns in heaven, but those crowns are not on earth. On earth we have suffering and trials. And even in heaven, those crowns will be laid at the feet of Jesus. We work by the grace of God for the glory of God. It is God's working in us. Yes, for our good, but for his glory. Also, this creativity is both preordained and practically evident. Again, I quote from verse 10, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Prepared beforehand is from the predestination work group. God prepared, he predestined these things beforehand that we would walk in them, literally in order that we should walk in them. In Ephesians 2.10, good works is a general and comprehensive expression for godly living. It is not further defined here, but its implications will be taken up uh, later in Ephesians. Uh, He's going to deal with the practical implications of godly living. Living in the church. Living with one another. Living in a family. Godly living. Put simply, it is God's will that those who belong to the new creation in Christ should be characterized by a lifestyle which ultimately reflects God's character and action. This This is the results of grace through faith. And it is the new life that we have in Christ. The creative nature of saving faith from a sovereign hand of God assures this transformation will endure. These good works are the fruits and evidences of true and saving faith. And by them, believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthening their insurance, assurance, edifying one another, and carrying on the gospel message, glorifying God, whose workmanship we are, created in Christ, having fruit unto holiness, and the assurance of eternal life. I want to make an application here in, in closing, very simply. 
The principle rooted in Paul's words by grace through faith is of immense importance. It establishes that grace is the source and faith is the means. But it is not our merit. In contrast with a popular believism in churches today. Believism where trust has resided in one's faith rather than in Christ. The result has been disastrous for the purity of churches and a very common misunderstanding of the message of the gospel. The objectivity of faith in Christ has been taken away by the subjectivity of man's belief. Now, this is an important distinction because it is the error is so common in churches today. There really is no peace of soul, no assurance of grace, because there is, in fact, no real, genuine, biblical faith in Christ. This believism is a faith in my ability to believe in something. It's meritorious. It's what I earned for my faith. Multitudes are trusting in their response, which is why so many have doubts about their salvation. When they are on an emotional high, they're convinced that all is well. But when things are not going so well, they are flooded with questions and doubts about their salvation. It is essential to maintain this biblical definition of faith as the instrument of salvation that God uses in our lives rather than a condition for our salvation. It is not that I am saved because I chose to believe. Faith is a response that God gives me. I owe everything to God for his sovereign plan of redemption. To Christ who died to save me from my sins. And to the Spirit who made me alive in Christ and keeps me until the day of redemption. I am nothing more than a sinner saved by grace through this gift of faith, this salvation. And I'm set on mission to live for the glory of God. Believism is man-centered. Biblical faith is Christ-centered. The need of saving faith is imperative. The source of saving faith is divine. The nature of saving faith is sovereign. Thus, salvation is by grace through faith, and Paul makes this so clear 
in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. God makes man alive with Christ, raises man up with Christ, and seats man in the heavenly places with Christ. God in Christ turns man's hell into heaven by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, and for the glory of God alone. Father, minister to our hearts the greatness of our salvation because of your greatness in grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Jolton, Tennessee. For more information on Calvary Bible Church or for more audio, please visit our website at cbctn.org.